Mr. Trolleyman? M- Mr. Trolleyman? Mr. Trolleyman, I have a question. Well, well, yes. Mr. Trolleyman, what's the difference between a tram, a trolley, and a train? The fare! <laughs> Mr. Trolleyman, what kind of person works here? Well, you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it does help if you're a little locomotive. Mr. Trolleyman, how long have you been a trolleyman? About nine stops now! Mr. Trolleyman, what are you gonna do when you lose your job? <laughs> Precocious child, if there's one thing I've learned, the choo choo always. Uh. I'm serious! There are freeways everywhere and cars on the freeways. They can go farther and faster than any trolley can go. What are you gonna do? Yes, little boy, the world is moving fast. But it's hard to keep track! Still got it. You're gonna lose your job! Do you even have a nest egg? The only nest egg I have is from a swallow that lives in my backyard. Stop dinging that! The reports have shown that rails are too expensive to maintain, they're outdated, they're dirty, they're a nuisance to the public, they're being operated by inept, unemployable goons who don't have a skill set that apply in the new- Mr. Trolleyman! Mr. Trolleyman! Mr. Trolleyman, you're trolling into the Pacific Ocean! Well, little boy, I guess you could just say, I've gone off the rails. New rockin' tunes. All right. Hello. 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 Welcome to yet another rip-roaring time through the annals of Los Angeles history with me, Daniel. And also me, Greg, lighting the way through the annals, was it? Welcome yet again to LA Meekly. We're glad to be here. Um... I'm also glad to be here. Did we he's, ask you? Was that a you're question? Choked up. You okay, can't I'm, even. I'm, I'm, I just, I don't, I'm not too emotional when we get here, you know? Whenever I see all of you lined up in front of us, it just makes me sorry to have to execute one of you <laughs> by the time this episode's through. Well, we're not, uh, let's not, th- we'll, we'll short, we'll, we won't have, we won't have too long of an intro because I can already feel that this is going to be our longest episode yet. Yeah. So we won't put you through too much pain. I feel like I can say anything because anyone listening must have turned it off by now. Just saying the longest episode. You could say anything. Please. Let's just say anything, Greg. Anything, Greg. Is that what you want? You know what I wanted to hear. It's Peter Gabriel. <laughs> As usual. <laughs> Let's get right into it. We're going to be talking about LA's streetcar system, the old streetcar system that used to exist throughout the city. And we thought it would be pretty easy if we divvy up red cars versus yellow cars. And a- as usual, we went into it like, oh, this is much deeper than I can ever imagine. And it's, yeah. this one. There's so many shades of red. <laughs> 50 shades of red. I haven't read it yet. Reddit! <gasps> oh, and Reddit! And Reddit! Like the platform. <laughs> yet another very technical, very uh, complicated thing we got ourselves into, which hopefully we broke it down. I hope you like hearing blueprints read to you (laughs) because that's what it's going to feel like for a lot of this i have like seven pages of measurements (laughs) (laughs) i've got eight (laughs) stick with it we tried to again this is another sort of episode where there hasn't been really a cohesive history of this in one place so we try uh, again we're sort of you know we should be on mount rushmore for yeah when when they build mount rushmore part two in los angeles two of the four faces are going to be ours Mm -hmm. the other two are going to be george michaels and wolfgang puck (laughs) 
Naturally. <laughs> what 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 did you cover in the in this story? Uh, I know, but tell them. Initially, I was assigned with talking about the yellow cards, which was the predecessors to the red cards, which are a little <laughs> bit more famous. Who assigned you? Did you? Okay. <sighs> A committee of me and you. <laughs> and four elders who shall not be named. But, it, you know, it always feels weird starting right in the middle. So I had to go as far back as I could. And, you know, of course, it led me to 1873. So that's where I'm starting. <laughs> <A> sleepy Pueblo <laughs> town. What's that noise, said the Keech leader. <laughs> in perfect English, by the way. What is this language I'm speaking? <laughs> okay, so the first one I'm going to be talking about was actually horsepower. That's how far we go back. Mm. It was called the Pioneer Omnibus Street Line. That's a good name. That's a good powerful name. Or in other words, the POS. Yeah, you have a problem with that? This was led by a gentleman named Charles Dupuy. I believe his name is D-U-P-U-Y. I don't know how to D-U- say that. Dupuy. Dupuy. I'm going to say Dupuy. I'm going to add, for some reason, if I can't pronounce that, I go French. This line was, as I said, horse-powered and trackless. There was no track at the time. So essentially, they were covered wagons pulled by horses, but they were for the public. They were sort of like a, a horse-powered taxi that had a regular schedule and a set route. They took people from the plaza, which is now a barrel street, to a place called Washington Gardens, which is uh, on Washington near Maine, I believe. And it was a beer garden. So it was a trolley that took people to a bar. Hmm. Washington Gardens also went by the name Shoots Park, and it was a small amusement park like the ones that was offered at the amusement piers at Venice Beach. Oh. Shoots Park had a merry-go-round, a 4,000-seat theater, and a baseball park that seated 10,000. The main attraction was the Shoot the Shoots ride, which was a ride Why does that, that w- sound familiar? That feel- was a ride at the Ocean Park Pier. Oh, Remember, it yeah. was a long slide that led to a pool of water, <laughs> and the kid fell off and died. Oh. Same ride. Yeah. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Maybe um, if we move it downtown, people will forget. Yeah, tragedy only lasts for like 20 miles. Strategy plus distance equals <laughs> a whole new amusement park. Money, 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 money. He shoots park. Which is the original motto of Los Angeles. <laughs> we have it on a flag somewhere. Get that off of there. Take it down. Take it down. Start over. Shoots Park was destroyed by a fire in 1887. Can't escape the flames. Fire Pier Faisal. Shoots Park was eventually bought the same year after it was destroyed by a man named David Waldron. Uh, another two guys, Hellman and John Downey. The Pioneer Omnibus Street Line closes in 1875 due to the poor street conditions of the roads. They weren't paved at the time and it was really hard for a horse to carry a wagon full of people on a road that was unpaved <laughs> that's not my problem <laughs> stupid horse horse yeah. get a stronger horse could you get like a buffalo or something <laughs> which is the strongest horse that a man <laughs> so it closes down what two years into operation but it sets into motion not only the transport system in los angeles which was inevitable but also the use of downtown as a central hub of the rail system in the la particularly i think for a couple decades historic plaza was like the hub of the city of all the rails were sort of coming up from around that general area. So after that, in 1874, we got the Spring and West 6th Street Railroad. It was also horse-powered, but the horse-powered wagons moved on a, a track, on a rail. So that was the first rail system in LA. Were the horses' feet in the track? They walked within the track, and then the... <laughs> Were these mechanical horses? Yeah. Was this a carousel, a giant carousel? Yeah, it, it moved like six miles. Six miles in a circle. It had a diameter. Let's just put it that way. The Pioneer Omnibus was like a like a really small stagecoach that could fit two, and this was not Romantic. only on... Very romantic. But uh, candles would set all them on fire. <laughs> fire purifies all. The Spring and West 6th Street Railroad not only moved on a track, but it was also like a tr- like a trolley. So this horse or two horses would pull a trolley along. So it was the first railway okay. with strong What horses. if the horses like went to the right when it wasn't supposed to? It probably stayed on the... Biggest disaster in Los <laughs> Angeles history. <laughs> the first pileup is actually the next episode. So don't... No spoil... No trigger warning. <laughs> Trigger's the name of the horse. <laughs> right, this was established by a gentleman, uh, Robert Whitney, who was not only a judge, he was a real estate promoter, which we're going to see eventually more and more a lot of real estate men mm-hmm. again conflict of interest i feel like yeah a lot of hands in the pot the person who sold him the rights to the railway was david waldron who bought the rights to the shoots park here's something that is telling
disposing of all of this railway stuff. Waldron also has his name on the 1873 ordinance to open a franchise that would allow two iron railroad tracks to be laid for passenger cars to be used on. Basically, what I see a lot of from the readings, and it's been mentioned, I'm not like discovering this, is that what you do is you, you buy a plot of land, have an amusement at the end of it, then you set up a railway that leads straight to it. Yeah. So you buy the railway that leads to it, not only the thing. There's a lot of times where I, I, you kind of read about like the conspiracy of like transit. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not a conspiracy. It's You'll hear, it's what, just business. You'll hear what people... Yeah, it's just business. <laughs> it's not a conspiracy. It's true. I killed the Kennedys. <laughs> It wasn't Satan that shouted it like Mick Jagger says. Turns out my last name is Grassy Knoll. That's what confused <laughs> everybody. First name Warren Report. <laughs> is that the right report? Or is that the 9-11 report? The Warren Report, I think, is... I actually don't know. So you think that there was a second airplane in 9-11. That shot Robert Kennedy. It all makes sense. <laughs> to Oliver Stone's house. Back to the spring in West 6th Street Railroad, please. The fare was 10 cents. Horse cars ran on the weekdays between 6.30 a.m. They ran all the way to 10 p.m. Good for them. And the passengers could ride from the intersection of Temple and Spring to South 6th Street and then west to Figueroa. That's about a mile and a half route. I'll keep my dime, thank you. You know what I could get for a dime? A good time. I was very interested in the fact that the barn for the horses and the cars was on 6th and Figueroa. I don't know why. Just because there's a lot of large skyscrapers and hotels there. To think that there was a barn. Those all used to be barns. <laughs> the horses were on the 90th floor. They had to jump into a glass of water to get down. It was very exciting. It's a good time back then. <laughs> Everything's Eight, a good time. Early 1880s. <laughs> there were no horse rights laws yet. Ugh, if only we could go back. I hope that we don't have any horses listening to this. <laughs> Mr. Ed! So after selling his interest in Spring and Sixth Railway, he opened the East LA and San Pedro Railway, switching from a single narrow gauge line to a standard gauge, which I... I you're going to explain. Yeah. This happened in 1876. It was benefited this railway more for like freight businesses going out to the harbor than like regular passengers. So eventually it would shut down and the tracks were removed in 1880. Next came the Main Street and Agricultural Park Street Railroad opened in 1875. It was another horse-powered wagon. This was financed primarily by John Downey and Isaiah Hellman, two of the guys who had their hands in the Chutes Park, and another man named William Workman who was the 18th mayor of LA. Hellman uh, will come up later. Oh, he, really? He, really? Yeah. Okay, good. He plays a big part. And he also plays a part in older episodes. So does Workman. I'll get to it. I, I do remember Workman's yeah. name. I just, I know that I read it somewhere. Temple Workman ring a bell. <laughs> <laughs> the bank that Tiburcio Vasquez robbed. It does was... that ring a bell for you, Mr. Gonzalez? Hmm. This line would bring people <laughs> from downtown to Agricultural Park, which is near the USC area. Have you heard of Agricultural Park before? Is that what is now Exposition Park? Yes. Yeah. Did you know what it was like then? Like rich people sauntering around, getting randy with each other? Getting randy indeed. <laughs> Agricultural Park offered Angelinos a racetrack, but not just for horses. I mean, you couldn't watch horses race as much because they were running the transport industry. <laughs> you could see a horse, sure, but don't you want to go see a camel race or a dog race or a bicycle race or I'd auto like races? To see a camel race a bicycle <laughs> camel always wins but through sympathy it spits on the bicycle and it slips i have respect for him he stands up for himself there was a demolition derby. there was animal fights a, wait, 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 a demolition derby yeah they had like auto monster races. trucks yeah monster trucks which in that day was just like a wagon yeah oh yeah with really big wheels even they bigger than regular they didn't have color flames to paint on so they really just set it on fire <laughs> and they threw cyan powder on it you've seen ben-hur right oh have i they had animal fights apparently really 
vicious animal fights that eventually oh like yeah i know this will come up in a future episode <laughs> we're gonna have a dog fight live <laughs> in the episode <laughs> the, the, the big dog fight <laughs> extravaganza la meekly presents crimes against humanity <laughs> are you siding with the rottweiler or the bulldog <laughs> there was a saloon and i read it in one article i couldn't find too much about this and i really want to see a picture there was a saloon that apparently they boasted that it had the longest bar I don't even really know what that means, but I kind of got an idea of it going so far. I can't see the other end. Yeah. Yeah. Or, hey, Johnny, give me a whiskey. And then it's going for like three minutes. <laughs> and by the time it gets to you, it's been drank by everybody else. It's aged appropriately. By the time it, gets to you. <laughs> it was a three year when I got it. <laughs> they also had a brothel there. Oh my God. And a bunch of other vice filled amenities. Like you said, in 1913, it was changed to Exposition Park. There's a few others I should mention. The Central Railroad of Los Angeles, which was opened in 1883, departed from the Southern Pacific Depot to a terminal at Washington. Washington and Figueroa with two standard gauge horse cars. That's about a three mile run in about 30 minutes. They operated from five cars and had 25 horses that allowed them to run a horsey every 15 minutes. The Main and Fifth Railroad, which opened up in 1887 and ran from First and Main to Fifth and Central. Around this time, technology was advancing, but what wasn't progressing was the livelihood of the main power source of these rail lines, which was horses. <laughs> horses are great, but you know, Los Angeles is a very hilly city in many areas. Yeah. San Francisco, our northern rival for the snobbiest city in California knows this problem all too well. They were using horsepowered trolleys to get people around too, but horses were having an understandable problem hauling a public <laughs> transit car full of people up a hill. Apparently, it was really common to find a dead horse by the road because they just couldn't handle pulling people, especially uphill. So they would just die on the side of the road and they would be connected to a box full of people. <laughs> just waiting. Maybe it'll start up again. Oh, he's down for a nap. Why does it smell like glue already? <laughs> what makes me sad is I have like three glue jokes in here. So it was only rational that someone would come along and create a better technology. And it was up to Andrew Smith Halliday to create the cable car up in San Francisco. I don't know if he was a horse rights activist, but I do know he was a successful wire rope manufacturer. He took the system of pulling streetcars along using a cable and pulleys from underneath the street where the chuds live. <laughs> he did this in 1873. Horse-drawn streetcars remained the primary mode of public transport through the 1880s, but eventually technological advances soon sent the horses to the glue factory, and the tour doesn't end well for them. <laughs> the last horse-drawn car service was demanded in 1897, so they went until 1897 with that. So then we're going to switch over to talking about cable cars now. There are five cable car railways opened up at this point that traveled through Bunker Hill. First, we have the Second Street Cable Railway, which opened in 1885. Uh, we got our first... Second, we had the First Street Railway. <laughs> which ran from Spring Street to what is now Belmont Avenue. The Second Street Cable Railway used three dummy grips and three trailers, each which sat about a dozen riders. The I'm going to start using acronyms. The SSCR provided riders... The what? What? What's what? that even mean? Is that a Nazi thing? I don't even know. <laughs> you always insert your agenda into this. <laughs> the listeners have to know. The SSCR provides riders a 12 to 14 minute one-way trip through the steep areas of Bunker Hill and Hope Street and ran from 6 a.m. to about 11 p.m. It was a very popular line, and some say it sparked interest in the development of the land west of Bunker Hill. Investors originally expected the line to serve around 600 people a day, but by the end of 1886, the cable cars were carrying about three times that number. It's very popular. (laughs) Very heavy. Very slow. (laughs) Grab on. Just drag along. The company left while sales were good and sold to a guy named John McLaughlin, and he was now the primary owner of SSCR. He wanted to connect this newly purchased rail from downtown to the area we now know as Hollywood, but there was a lot of problems with the Coenga Valley Railroad, and after a lot of attempts at it, he couldn't accomplish it. So 
by 1889, he went bankrupt, almost trying to do this. And it didn't help that a year later, the rainfall of the 1880s damaged the sections of the line. So about 1890, he had to close that down. Another one after that was the Temple Street Cable Railway, which opened up in 1886. It rode along Temple Street between Spring and Belmont. Again, that was another short line, but it got people to build and develop Angelino Heights. Hmm. That was developed because of this line. So blame them. This was a success since the financial backer of the Temple Street Cable Railway was Prudent Beaudry, the man who developed Bunker Hill. Temple Beaudry. Temple Beaudry. Beaudry Street is named after him. The TSCR was the most successful cable car in Los Angeles at the time. That was the one that everyone kind of wanted yeah. to ride. Next came the LA Cable Railway in 1887. This one merged the horsepowered City Central and the East and West LA Street Railways. It eventually became a cable car service in the summer of 1889. The LA Cable Railway became the largest transit venture in the city and operated from Boyle Heights and East LA out to Westlake Park and Grand Avenue. In late 1889, the company reorganized and became Pacific Railway Co. Its president was a gentleman named C.F. Crank. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Mr. Crank. Mr. Crank. The company was sold under foreclosure in 1898 and acquired by Henry E. Huntington, who you will be talking about, I believe. In depth. He did this in 1902 and incorporated the line into the Pacific Electric Railway. alert. So there was three more similar enough railways that need to be mentioned. Of the three, only one is still somewhat operational. We'll now discuss the funicular railways. These are a special kind of railway that had one destination and was moved. <laughs> Hell. <laughs> and you can only buy a one-way ticket. There's a one-stop at Purgatory on the way. <laughs> on the house. These ran Which on- is Satan's house. <laughs> These funicular lines ran on really steep slopes. How they ran was they had cables attached to a pulley system which raised or lowered the cars along the slope. And the two cars are paired at opposite ends and they acted as, as counterweight. Thank you for stepping on my feet. Because there was no Counterweight. Traction. Because there was no traction with the wheels, these funicular lines could climb these steep slopes. There's five in Southern California, but I'm only going to address three. The other two, well, there's one at Catalina. There's another one at Mount Washington. Because Catalina was, Island? Yeah, Catalina Island has one. You Where want the buffalo bu- run? You, you want to? You want to book a trip right now to Catalina? There's one in Mount Washington. <laughs> I'll be talking briefly about the three, but you're going to talk about one. So I'm only going to really mention two. So there are two in downtown, these funicular lines that should be mentioned. The first one is very famous. The most popular of the funicular rails was Angel's Flight. Are you familiar with Angel's Flight? Very familiar. Very popular tourist attraction in our fair city. It was set up in 1901 to help folk climb the 300-foot ascent of Bunker Hill. Connected passengers from Hill to Olive, which is really steep, actually, if you try to walk it before. <laughs> the real car is right. I try to walk up the path of the Angel's Flight flight. I've caused a lot of accidents. (laughs) It's been shut down so many times because of me. It looks like a ladder on its side. What do you want me to do? (laughs) Again, pleased to meet you. I hope you've guessed my name. It's a lot of Satan talk in this episode. It's good because we're going to sacrifice a horse. (laughs) Of course, of course. (laughs) The rail cars run alongside Angel's Knoll, which is a park that's a patch of grass that's on top of it. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's favorite place to hang out? It was made famous from 500 Days of Summer. (laughs) Yeah, it was made famous by 500 Days of Summer. People were talking about it like they never seen it before <laughs> i couldn't believe it and they called it the 500 days of summer yeah, park you know if you look on google maps it says like angel's flight 500 days of summer oh hill oh my god everyone suddenly thought la was relevant after that <laughs> little did they know it was designed and built and sorry not angels no angels flight was designed and built by a guy named colonel wj eddie who was a lawyer an engineer and a personal friend of abraham lincoln what? Yeah. A personal friend personal of friend. Abraham Lincoln. Personal friend. Hey, f- hey, uh, Abe, Abe, shake my hand. Abe, how you doing? You still got a wedgie? Huh? <laughs> Yo, Linky. How's that wife of yours doing? 
I would know. He was born in New York in 1832 and ended up through his travels in Los Angeles in 1895. He has Took been him a long time to get here. Yeah, well, he was playing out with Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> stopping off in the Civil War. He worked like for a quick stop. Three years in between this time before he got to LA, he worked as a railroad engineer in Arizona. Gave him a little skill set. What's his name again? Colonel J.W. Eddy. There's another guy coming up who also did rail stuff in Arizona, hmm. but his name is not Colonel J.W. Eddy. Is Griffith Griffith? Colonel Griffith J. Eddy. The two Angels flight passenger cars have names, Oliviet and Sinai. What? Oliviet and Sinai, named... Sinai? No, Sinai, like the like the biblical mountains. Oh, Sinai. 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 Is it Sinai? Like cedar cyanide. I thought it was Sinai. Sinai. Cedar Sinai. Sinai? Sinai. Sinai. Like your name was I, Sinai. Yeah, and I'm sighing. Sigh. What's wrong? Nice. Sinai and Oliviet. Well, I don't know. I have no idea what to compare Oliviet to. Oliviet. You want to look up biblical mountains right now? All of it. Yeah. That's like a quick tour of the biblical mountain range. In its glory days, Angel Flight cost one cent, which was good because it Mm. only lasts a minute. It's almost too expensive for that (laughs) minute. It was a functional railway for many years. Even as cars took over the road and Bunker Hill was destroyed, it was still operational. But people kept riding Angel Flight because it was just like a quaint tourist attraction. It was really popular. It's it's still, even if people don't ride it, it's still a popular tourist attraction. Yeah, I did it before it closed for like the 80th time. Yeah. I, I did it. Did you? Yeah. Did it feel like you're riding Splash Mountain backwards? <laughs> it, it was. I was twice as wet. <laughs> and there's pictures that prove it. <laughs> That's why they closed. <laughs> Little boy pees himself all over. <laughs> the first time it was closed was in 1969. It was done for a urban renewal project. It was closed for a really long time, almost like 20 years. And it reopened in the early 90s. It was refurbished and relocated a half block south reopening adjacent to hmm. California Plaza, which 1996. It ran for a good five years before Trouble Bought a Fare. In 2001, Sinai, the passenger car, broke loose. Or what actually happened was the cable unreeled from the drum that it was wrapped around, and the car was just let free, and gravity did the oh, rest. God. It rolled down the inclined tracks and crashed into Oliviet, its brother. Oh, no. Which had been brought to a halt by the inclined railway's braking system, I guess. Sibling violence. They said the real issue with this was the brake systems had no fail-safe setup. The cars had no backup brakes. They were just age-old design flaws with funicular rails that had never been like updated. And they're just like, eh. I just keep going. Even though it was refurbished. Well, what's going to happen? The cables will snap? What's going to happen? Gravity plus weight? <laughs> Equals comedy. As a result of this accident, an 83-year-old passenger was killed and his wife and six others were injured. All of this occurred in front of a crowd of onlookers, by the way. It's probably photos of this happening. Yeah. And if you look real close, you <laughs> might see me in the background tipping my black hat. A pair of scissors in my hand. <laughs> With my finger pressed to my lips. <laughs> Don't tell a soul or else I'll have yours. <laughs> I'm Satan. I get it. <laughs> the fallen angel. You heard of me? You might know me as Lucifer. <laughs> My good friend Mick Jagger might have <laughs> spun a yarn every once in a while. A musical yarn. <laughs> Angel's flight was inactive for some time and it reopened about nine years later in 2010. A year later in 2011, it was shut down again for having a worn wheel. It reopened soon after that, but in September of 2013, yet another accident occurred <laughs> on Angel's flight and several passengers were injured oh, this God. time. Since then, it's been inactive. I wrote it in between the... Uh, the wheel problem and the multiple death problem. Mm-hmm. That's when I was on there. It's the same thing with like Big Thunder Mountain. Like, oh no. So you're not taking passengers? Is the or? weight going to be shorter? <laughs> it's like gambling. Like if someone hits big, it's like the farthest time away from another time yeah. someone's going to hit big. Yeah. But it won't, tragedy big, won't strike twice. Maybe four times, but not twice. No, not twice, no. <laughs> A lot of people, since these tragedies are trying to push forward and get Angel's Flight operational, 
again. And one of these people is Mayor Garcetti. One of the things that's holding everyone back, though, is trying to find a safe way to continue using the funicular method of movement to operate Olivia and Sinai. Last year, there was a big push for it to get done, but as of August 2015, when we're recording today, yeah. nothing's really done yet. Nothing's They're still trying done. to figure that out. They're still trying to get enough momentum behind it. Oh, that's um, funny. Funny. If you miss Angels Fight Railway, just follow them on Twitter and get tweets from Olivia and Sinai because it comes from their perspective. <laughs> Sinai says, sorry. Let me read you some tweets. Oh, no. Sinai says, wow, even Los Angeles Times talks about our plight. Sinai, our plight. Sinai says. Yeah, like Bill Cosby has a plight. <laughs> oh, my God. You're the perpetrator, Sinai. <laughs> you try to break loose, see what happens. People get hurt. Sinai says, is help on the way, Olivia? Question mark. Oh, no. Olivia observes, be flattered, Sinai. In just a day, 715 plus of our fans signed the change.org letter to Mayor Garcetti. This is Missing were the three people who died. <laughs> this whole thing, like when I was reading it. It's a little weird. I was a little weirded out, but I thought, this is something we and we should and would do. Yeah. yeah. I did write that. It is fun. I wish it's it was fun. opening again. But the reason you're bringing it up is because it was owned by Los Angeles Railway, right? Yeah. One of their endeavors. It was, it was Larry. So was the next one I'm going to be talking about. Court Flight. Do you know about flight no i never heard of it before i did research but it's kind of amazing in 1905 the judge of that in 1905 that is amazing see i knew you'd like that <laughs> there opened up another railway known as court flight where you fight and flight court flight took people up to what was once known as court hill which is apparently no longer there but it's where the courthouse and the hall of administration is a long temple between broadway and grand it seems like it was connected from the readings i'm seeing from like broadway to first and also hill to first but that doesn't really make a lot of sense because they kind of they don't run parallel so i don't really know like a route but i, I if it's a flight it's just one way up so it's <laughs> i'm gonna say broadway to grand it was promoted as the shortest railway in the world that climbed 200 feet at a grade of 43 degrees which is steeper than angel's flight to go up the rail cost you five cents going downhill was free it is going downhill was free because you can't charge for gravity (laughs) it helped local bunker hill residents and courthouse workers get their business done that's the thing about both these angels and courthouse flights that they were really for For, the people the residents and tourists like they really did like you can laugh at it but they really did get people up the hill court flight lasted until 1943 which is amazing because for something that is almost identical to angels flight and was around for 30 something years i didn't i've never heard about it before like doing research for this the decline was mostly due to the lack of engineers and conductors during world war ii who were off fighting the Nazis. Another important factor in closing one it, funicular at a time. Another important factor in its closing was a fire in the October of 1943. Fire purifies all. <laughs> it damaged the wood ties so severely that it would require a complete reconstruction, and they were just weren't up for it or didn't have the money. So that was it for Court's flight, and eventually that was it for Court Hill too. There are pictures of like where they removed the tracks, and it was just like a, a dirt hill, and now they put oh, important oh, buildings. Dirt there. hill. Dirt hill. So those were the first Larrys before they were Larrys, actually. They were, but, oh, so that was before. The they were they were acquired later. Oh, okay. But they were they they were uh, right. pre Larry Railways. Larry is short for Los oh, Angeles we Railway. By the way, there was an early attempt in 1885 of creating an electric streetcar from the area along Pico Boulevard west of Vermont. West of Vermont. Vermont. <laughs> Vermont. That's how the locals pronounce it <laughs> in Vermont. Colonel Charles H. Howland obtained a franchise to build a another sp- colonel. Another colonel. They were just handing that title out. You got forty or bucks. Just take it. Yeah. You got forty bucks. I'll make you a colonel. This colonel obtained a franchise to build a streetcar line that was either going to be cable or electric powered. It wasn't decided at the time. This was known at the Los Angeles Electric Railway Rail Railway Company. The Whaleway. The whaleway. Colonel Eddie wants a railway. <laughs> he used a two trolley system that got electricity from overhead wires. Over the years of operation, the railway was bogged down by electrical issues and technical problems. And after a powerhouse boiler explosion in 1888, they cut the electrical car service and resumed horse pulled cars until the company went bankrupt because you can't rely on horses. <laughs> this is showing a change Lazy in horses. They just need to get 
get a real job that you apply for, <laughs> like Sea Biscuit. Like now that's a horse I can have a poster up on my wall of. <laughs> Why couldn't you get hired like Sea Biscuit did? <laughs> this is showing to me of a change in tide because by 1896, many of the major horse and cable cars were converting to electrical power, and here's one going backwards and not surviving because of it. So really, electric trolleys just need to have the kinks fixed, but there was like a future in it. Another charter known as the LA Consolidated Electric Railway, I'm going to call it LACER. If you can't already tell, there's so many complicated yeah, it's railway names. Most of them you don't really need to know. No. There's a few, Larry, which is Los Angeles <laughs> Railway, and Pacific Electric and Southern Pacific and a few other like Los Angeles yeah. Pacific. Those are the ones really yeah. pay attention to. But Larry and PE. That's yeah. it. LACER is another one. I'm going to repeat what it stands for. LA Consolidated Electric Whale Railway. <laughs> Jesus. I'm a baby. Laysu. This opened up in 1890 by two gentlemen, Moses Sherman, who was a real oh. estate magnet. You'll, I'm, I'm sure you'll talk about him. About yeah. them. And Eli Clark. It too used an improved overhead trolley system. It had an overhead line that had an electrical current and a spring-loaded trolley pole with a wheel travel along it and it used it to collect electricity as it moved along. Huh. We, I've seen it in my head a thousand times, but like trying, like now knowing how to operate something, well, of course, that's what it does. <laughs> it all makes sense. Yeah. I didn't find out too much about the routes or territories, mostly business and operations, but it should be noted that they are key in the Los Angeles Railway history because Sherman was competing with James Crank of the Pacific Railway. Crank. Crank. Added again for areas to build rails on. Uh-huh. Uh, a year later, the Lacer added a second electric streetcar that ran around the USC Agricultural Park area. Mm-hmm. And the same year, they purchased the rights to the Alley Electric Railway Company. By the end of 1891, they had 25 miles of electric lines and five routes. Sherman and Clark, big part, big part yeah. of this story. They I'll seem get... to be the first ones to be like, if we buy if, more yeah, rails and we connect can, them, we can... Yeah. I don't... Let's make this cohesive, maybe. Exactly. Two years later, in October of 1893, they acquired the Pacific Railway at a foreclosure sale. With that purchase, they got 20 miles of cable railway and two more routes, as well as nine miles of horse rails and three routes to go with that. How many horses did they get? All of them for, in California. They owned all of them. <laughs> in the wild horse, horses. Which was four. They were being exported. For the war effort. <laughs> they were getting turned into bullets. They made many plans to convert and operate under electricity. For a long time, though, they kept the cable and horse railways in use, which was pretty cool until of course that was passe there's no in between like well we're on horsepower now what's the next yeah step? oh yeah, oh, yeah electricity of course you want me to electrocute the horse no no no, no. Please. <laughs> then it kind of gets sketchy after this point i'm sure like your information will clarify some of this yeah there's a lot of holes take one hand and mm-hmm. take another one interlock your fingers. your fingers interlock and there's the steeple there you got it but where's the people on the horse drawn carriage <laughs> too many of them i couldn't follow how laser traded hands but in 1891 the gentlemen of Lacer, Sherman and Clark, sold their land to M.E. Hammond, who was a treasurer alongside Sherman and Clark. Again, this is a very complicated episode. So listen to it many times. <laughs> I can't tell if they were moving land to a treasurer, if that's something businesses do, or if he acquired it, which makes no sense since Lacer seemed to be doing well. They didn't need to be selling to anybody, especially their own treasurer. I do know that Sherman had to eventually sell the rights to Pacific Railway, though. What seems to happen is that many of the lines get sold to these monopolizing schemers. And yeah. Lacer and the well, main... It's so hard to run a railway company trust me it's hard work to be a tycoon you know everyone was just merging to like uh, we're gonna die if we don't yeah, sell yeah. out to this person so they were just all merging with whoever they could to exactly. stay afloat they don't want to go the way of the pulley horse yeah, exactly no 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 they don't want to go the way of court flight you know oh one stop get out of town who are you you smell bad so I went off the rails if you were we did that joke already oh was I here for that <laughs> no I was playing a kid I had that's the, right yeah. there was some little boy here earlier you were in here <laughs> 
So Lacer and the Main Street and Agricultural Park Street Railroad, if you remember that, merged with another early competitor called the LA Traction Company, mm-hmm. which had green cars running between Boyle Heights to MacArthur Park. These three companies formed the LA Railway in 1895, which is sold to Henry Huntington in 1898. Now Huntington had ownership and moved forward with the vast and officially named Los Angeles Railway, or Larry as I'm going to be calling it. Little Y. Little Y. L-A-R, little Y. So here we are. Larry, finally, after all this evolution, Larry, we Larry, ended up with Larry. Larry. The Los Angeles Railway is known under two common names. One of them is Larry, which we've been joking about. The other one, the, the cars that were known as yellow cars because they had a yellow paint scheme. It was either yellow and brown or yellow and green. I prefer the yellow and green ones. They just look neat. I'm a yellow brown boy. Really? It's a hot dog thing, isn't it? I like mustard with molasses on my hot dogs. <laughs> so they were either yellow and brown, yellow and green, except for one Christmas in the 40s, they painted to look like uh, candy canes. Oh. Isn't that neat? That is fun. But wait a minute, they repainted the whole thing and then like ah it's boxing day let's back to <laughs> the yellow and brown and green listen they do that with buses now where they put the it's full wall i've seen a bus uh, made out of minions those are yellow cars <laughs> like <Beedy> boop boop <laughs> Minions. <laughs> We've got the Minion constituency. <laughs> uh, we're paid by the Minion company to say that, by the way. They've gotten everywhere. We're millionaires now. <laughs> this should be noted that in the very technical readings available for the rail system in LA, there's one big distinction between the yellow cars and the red cars that is this track gauge. Red cars, they use standard gauge. Yeah. Yellow cars, now they use a little less common 42 inch narrow gauge. Yeah. Look at that. You know, we don't need as much on the yellow car side. Sorry. Sly. Uh, who lasted longer? <laughs> in 1910, Huntington made a move for the complete ownership of Larry by selling his interest in the Pacific Electric to H. Harriman, who I'm sure you're going to talk about, who was the president of Southern Pacific. Oh, yeah. Harriman owned what remained of the Alley Traction Co. and the California Pacific Interurban Line since 1903. Routes were being divided. You're going to get more into that. What eventually happens, though, everything is divided between roughly local and interurban, and LA Railway was given only to operate within the city. Yellow cars connected points within about six miles north south downtown east, LA of, of downtown LA yeah six miles around uh, within downtown LA or uh, this might s- get you're joking nothing this might seem like they like they got uh the bad end of the stick but the yellow cars were unknowingly assigned with being the working man transport they got yeah. everyone from work and home they also carried around shoppers and sightseers it was like just well we're gonna take a railway to downtown it yeah wasn't- but they smelled so you don't red like- car <laughs> choo choo it's the difference between a uh, lyft and uber yeah and i think we know who's who sure. i'm a taxi cab <laughs> i'm not sure at what point angel flight and court flight were acquired by larry but they were acquired within this same time yeah the most commuted on lines line p which ran from west pico to east first street i believe in boyle heights and east la to downtown they carried thousands of commuters a week <laughs> line j ran from jefferson to walnut park and Southgate. i read which is kind of off the beaten path of what i understood larry did but then I imagine that as they were expanding and eventually Larry. became Larry, what are you doing? You're <laughs> killing me, Larry. Line U started at Central Avenue and moved to South Vermont near USC. So they were all named after letters? Letters and numbers, yeah. Okay. I have a list of them. I just read the ones that were most commuted on. New York. I don't get it. You wouldn't. These three, along with some other local routes, would see from thirty-five to 75,000 people per week, which seems kind of excessive. But remember, there were no cars at the time. Well, cars weren't popular at the time. Yeah. So this was how people got 
lot around who couldn't afford cars and the cars were just like hey, that's like saying you own a jet which i do <laughs> i own a hot air balloon <laughs> they service a much smaller area than the red cars that would follow but they serve twice as many commuters yeah in 1924 which is apparently their peak year uh, same with pacific electric actually i think you're lying the gloves are off oh boy here it comes <laughs> 1924 peak year for yellow cars uh-huh. they carried 255 million passengers across 642 what? miles of track that they own 255 million? million but that can't that's not in that's like one person takes like two rides a day right? maybe yeah yeah it yeah. can't be there's not even that many people in the world in 1924. You know what it probably meant? 255 million rides, which is passengers. I'm going to follow him home, find out where he's going tomorrow, and now it no longer counts. Yeah. Because he takes it every day, no longer counts. No. No, he doesn't. Okay, then we... That's you how what, You know how people they serve six? The one you want to hear? <laughs> <laughs> That's how Larry treats people. <laughs> well, let's not romanticize this public transport thing no. okay public transportation's gross it, and we all know filthy. it filthy as early as the 1910s larry yellow cars were notorious for being overcrowded or as the 1977 publication the yellow cars of los angeles puts it jammed from stern to stern with animated happy throngs of people nah. <laughs> they got the first part right maybe <laughs> jam from stern certainly to stern. was a throng there are photos that exist of people hanging on every inch of the yellow <laughs> car and i mean like the exterior, which means inside of it, like on the seats, must have been. Can I sit in the wheelhouse? Can I lay across your laps, please? <laughs> the seats were made of hardwood, which was not pleasant. Open window air conditioning during summertime was not open ideal. Open window air conditioning. That's just an open window. Yeah. You didn't get that? <laughs> and there were often delays that border. me for a fool. <laughs> Larry. Larry. And there were often bum, delays that. Bum, bum, Sorry. There were often delays that bordered on the why do I even bother leaving the house? <laughs> they were there so late. It didn't help that Huntington was paying transit workers as little as possible. That was his <laughs> policy, causing them to go on strike several times and eventually unionize, which he hated. Yeah. Hey, he was a great man. The founding men of Los Angeles, kind of assholey. Yeah. Yeah. We should do an episode where we just trash. We just do a roast. And over here, <laughs> what do we got? Griffith J. Griffith? More like Griffith Gay. <laughs> Oops. I've said too much. You don't think it was coincidence that he shot his wife? He was a well-known hater of the union and would hire scabs to work as well as hire strike breakers to infiltrate the union and undo their work. There was something in like 1919 where they were like, all of his workers were like, well, we're going to unionize if you don't pay us what we want. All right. And then he just hired a whole new crew. Oh my God. <laughs> that was it. That was the end of the, the protest. There was another strike where the strikers were hiding, like they were stealing rail cars and hiding them in barns and stuff. What? I didn't read too much about it, but I was, I thought you were going to take over. No. We should, bonus episode. Because of all these strikers though there were less yellow cars on the road meaning overcrowding when a car eventually did show up the striking it's here it's only got 69 people on it i haven't been at work in three months <laughs> that's okay my boss is waiting too but the lines were expanded out in correlation to the expansion of the city sprawl led to rails being built and this had a lot to do with the fact that many of the men promoting and purchasing rails were landowners uh- Spoiler alert. Much of this expansion was happening between 1917 and 1931. This is what the yellow car was doing. The routes were expanding as it was getting harder and harder to be on a yellow car. (laughs) During the 30s, Larry was able to continue to expand and began to get this profit, which was unusual for many of the railways of Los Angeles, in particular Line P and Line U, which I mentioned before. (laughs) Mm, P-U. Oh, boy. Uh, I should have said that the other way. (laughs) Very profitable for the company. (laughs) U-P. The eventual undoing of Larry uh, could be connected to many factors. (laughs) That's the name of my autobiography. (laughs) The eventual undoing Undoing of Larry, (laughs) or how I got away with murdering Larry King. The undoing had uh, several different factors. Old and weathered rail equipment and the infrastructure as a whole. No one was really updating or maintaining it as 
well as they should have because there was money and they weren't profiting. So there, the money wasn't coming in to fix all this stuff. There were frequent delays and this happening in a time of like automobiles. Go, go, go. Go, go, go. Everyone has their own private little bedroom and they're driving around in it. <laughs> there were a lot of fatal accidents that were happening. Many commenters mentioned that the yellow cars operated at a loss of revenue for their entire history of operation. <laughs> yeah. In 1945, the Huntington Estate sells their assets of Larry to the LA Transit Lines, which would later be bought and merged into what is now the LA Metropolitan Transit Authority. There is some controversy because LATL, the LA Transit Lines, I'll repeat one more time, was a subsidiary of National City Lines, who was financed by several automobile and petroleum companies, in particular General Motors, Phillips Petroleum, Mack Truck, Standard Oil of California, and Goodyear, mm-hmm. all aimed towards putting cars on the yeah, road. Yeah, but that's not really... A lot of people want to say that this is a, com- it's conspiracy, a, it's theory. a conspiracy theory. It is. It is. It's <laughs> a con- yeah, because you want to think that there's something nefarious yeah. behind it, but it's really just... Te- you know what? Te- it, it's technology. Yeah, it's so... This whole story is so complicated. You yeah. want something like, well, it was it was this guy's fault, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. No. The way the city had been laid out by the time all these transit lines were established begged to be driven on by a car. There was freeways now connecting everything. You could almost look at like the railways being mirrored by the freeways that were being built. I've got metaphors too. Uh, that was in charge. You were supposed to do similes. <laughs> oh, uh, what I meant was that it was like that. <laughs> <laughs> so because it was costly to replace the antique equipment and power generating systems, motor buses being the more affordable alternative decided to send the, the yellow car Larry's to the glue factory. Uh, <laughs> they extracted all the yellow. In 1963, the remaining routes became the modern bus system, the mm-hmm. modern, what, what was the RTD and now the MTA. And after a 27-year absence of no rail system, the light rail returned to LA with the opening of the Metro Blue Line in 1990 that connected downtown to Long, Long Beach. Beach. Yeah. Very far. It might be the farthest <laughs> one, I think. The, far, the one that has the farthest reach, I think. Uh, not true. Which one has the farthest reach? You'll find out. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't blow my mind. I didn't sign up for this. So now I'm going to do the history of the red car. You've heard the yellow car. Mm-hmm. Slow down a little bit. Now it's red car. Time to stop and listen. I brought you right up to it. Yeah. I, well, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> this story is going to parallel in a lot of ways. Yeah. And some stuff might sound like it's being repeated, but there's other side. This yeah. is the other side of the story of what was happening around the same time. You're giving time. me a Rushamon. Yeah. This is how you saw it. This is how I see it. Mm-hmm. Huntington's going to be here at midnight to start his side of the story. <laughs> I don't watch Japanese films. I'm an American. Pacific Electric was the pinnacle of a lot of different and complicated things. It took a long and convoluted road towards each other, but it's nowhere near as complicated and convoluted as how this retelling is going to be. Of <laughs> so the Los Angeles Railway, uh-huh. it was just one piece of the puzzle, but we already know that part of the story. Yeah exhaustively so I'm going to start at the opposite end of the board with a very large figure in LA history that you touched on but here's a little more I'm going to touch him him a little bit more (laughs) Moses Sherman again so he was born December 3rd 1853 in Vermont Vermont? (laughs) that's how he pronounced it and eventually he grew up to be a teacher until he moved to Arizona for health reasons and morphed into a school superintendent but nurturing child's minds was not enough for Mm -hmm. Mr. Sherman he decided to build a railroad in Phoenix and then by a chance visit to LA in 1889, he experienced LA's cable car system, right. and he noticed all the shortcomings of the cable car technology, and he realized that electricity and moving to LA was the way to go. So Sherman teamed up with his brother-in-law, Eli Clark. Uh-huh. He started a business converting the old cable cars to electric trolleys and the other stuff, etc., etc. <laughs> Meanwhile, another team comprised of Andrew McNally, Colonel G.G. Green. Oh, okay. Did you talk about him? Was that no, one of your colonels? No, no. G.G. Green, I would have made a joke. So there's three colonels involved yeah. in this? There are. Right. And, and actually, never, there's another colonel coming up. And they never became popcorn. <laughs> so, 
I love Tice. What was the first name? Andrew Lloyd Webber? So it was Andrew McNally, Colonel G.G. Green, mm-hmm. and those dastardly Woodbury brothers. Oh, boy. But they had already formed the Pasadena Railway Company in 1887 mm-hmm. to bring rails to the rich people in Altadena and connect them to pretty much what I think is the same exact place, Pasadena. One has a hill and one's flat. Uh, what, what can't you tell the difference between? <laughs> Their names. <laughs> Sherman and Clark wanted to do more than just pull cables off of old trolleys. The so they derogatory? Got, so they got to work. Yeah, I'm laying the smack down. <laughs> they got to work and in 1894 they created the Pasadena and Los Angeles Electric Railway and bought up all of those rail companies that were operating up in the Pasadena area. So then May 1st, 1895, they opened up Southern California's first interurban rail line from downtown LA to Pasadena. Mm-hmm. So this was actually one of the first interurban rail lines in the whole country. I five. Before this, the only way you could get from LA to Pasadena was by steam train or a very long horse and buggy ride. And it was a nice train, it seems. They said of this train, it is to the usual electric line what a Pullman service is to an old-fashioned car. Ooh. And we know how nice the Pullman cars were and how coveted those jobs were in the Central Avenue area. Yes, yes, we, that was the job to have. And also not as racist as other jobs you no, could be no, working. No, no, no. I mean, I can list all the racist jobs if you want me to. Uh, so what... What was one of the major stops on this new train, you asked? Can I ask that? Please ask me. What was one of the major stops on the new train, I asked? Uh, stupid God questions. It. it was to the Cowston Ostrich Farm in oh. South Pasadena as part of ostrich mania that was <laughs> apparently sweeping the nation. Get a look at it! <laughs> look at this thing! It's like What's a happening? giant chicken. So they claim to be the country's first ostrich farm, but we know that a certain colonel, mm-hmm. Griffith J. Griffith, had one in Griffith Park since 1885. The Cowston one opened in 18. 86 and it cost 25 cents round trip on the electric train to get there admission included the griffith ostrich farm is reached by the los angeles ostrich farm railway company a line which <laughs> actually named it that that line got bought around this time by sherman and clark so they were already building up their whole empire they didn't okay. hang onto the pasadena line very long though and they lost it to a chicago company in mid 1897 who thought the story wasn't confusing enough so they changed the name from pasadena and los angeles electric Rail- railway i'm saying it too railway Little wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so they changed it from the Pasadena and Los Angeles. <laughs> Sorry, I'm from Vermont. Vermont? <laughs> they changed it from the Pasadena. Let's try this one more okay. time. The Pasadena and Los Angeles Electric Railway. They changed it from that to the Los Angeles and Pasadena Electric Railway Company. But that wasn't the end of Sherman and Clark because at the time, the space between downtown LA and the beach was just a bunch of farms or otherwise uninhabited land. And Sherman knew that if somebody could develop an efficient way to be transported to and from those areas from downtown, then the treasures of Lonely Mountain are open Mm -hmm. to you and smog is nowhere to be found, Greg. It's all guitar solos from here on out. Jimmy Page comes in, (laughs) reads you a riddle. So on November 9th, 1896, they opened the Pasadena and Pacific Railroad, which connected them back to Pasadena via downtown LA all the way to Santa Monica. So this was Sherman and Clark's crowning achievement for LA. Their empire, as of January 3rd, 1898, became known as the Los Angeles Pacific Railway Company, and that's really the only name for them that you have to remember. It took them long enough to (laughs) learn to simplify. So they basically controlled all the rail transportation in all of western LA County. At their peak in 1906, they had around 170 miles of track. 
Sherman's name is found all over LA in places like Sherman Oaks, Sherman Way, oh. West Hollywood even used to be called Sherman because he's the man that made it possible to live there without being a dirty farmer. <laughs> so now it's time it's time My family's full of clean farmers except Jethro. Now it's time to revisit our old friend Henry Huntington. Huntington. Let's get the full story. He was born Henry Edwards Huntington, February 27th, 1850 in Oneonta, New York. He worked at a few hardware stores as a kid, but he had a strong family connection in the form of his uncle, Collis P. Huntington, who was a titan of the railroad industry. He was one of the four big men of the California railroads, right? I think the octopus is about him. You'll hear what the octopus is about. Did you just put me in my place? Yeah, he was one of the big four in just in the country oh, of, was it? Okay. of railroad people. An octopus has more than four arms. You'll find out. <laughs> Collis was... This turned into an episode on the anatomy of octopuses. <laughs> Collis was a major player in the Chesapeake and Ohio, the Southern Pacific and the Central Pacific, which is the company that made the western half of the Transcontinental Railroad. Okay. In 1869, Henry went to his mega uncle to inspect a part of the Chesapeake and Ohio, where his uncle offered him a job managing a sawmill. So he accepted and worked his way up and up and up eventually became the superintendent himself of construction for a few railroad sections then in 1890 uncle collis became president of southern pacific and henry moved to san francisco with him to be Uh his assistant and in 1892 henry became vice president of the whole company so during this time henry helped build the market street railway in san francisco and yeah and a railway that connected san francisco to portland and he also had personal interest in la with the with larry larry he had a little fling with larry (laughs) and the Pasadena line also. Henry was, he was the golden nephew and it looked like everybody, especially to Henry, that he was being groomed to take over Southern Pacific when Collis was dead and rotting. <laughs> then in 1900, Collis died and he started to rot. So then two thirds of Collis's estate was left to Collis's second wife, Arabella, and a third of it went to Henry. And it looked like Henry was going to be the new president. But there was another guy in the picture. Oh, no. Some hotshot whiz kid from Wall Street named Edward Harriman. E.H.? Eh. So Harriman got the taste of railroad blood in his mouth in 1879 when he bought stock in a dying railroad, turned it around, sold it for profit. Then he wanted more lifeblood of America, so he started buying stock in many railroads. And by 1897, he was director of Union Pacific. And when Unky Collis died, Harriman bought up a controlling amount of shares in Southern Pacific and named himself president over Henry, who was so upset about this, he cashed out of Southern Pacific for $50 million and turned his focus to LA to build his own empire and on November either 10th or 12th 1901, Henry Huntington's Pacific Electric Railway Company was born, henceforth known as PE Physical Education (laughs) Physical Electric on the board of directors were a man named Eeps Randolph and cool. a man named Isaiah Hellman, who he oh. said, again, he was the Hellman that helped form the Farmers and Merchants Bank, which was formerly the Temple and Workmen Bank, who are some other people we talked about mm. that Tiburcio Vasquez robbed. Okay. To that I say, what the Hellman? <laughs> so now the stage was set for the huge battle over who would unify LA by rail. So there were three main contenders. In one corner, mm-hmm. Henry Huntington with P.E. Not a good boxer name. In the next corner, Sherman and Clark with LA Pacific. In the next corner you have Harriman with Southern Pacific and that's all the corners because the ring is shaped like a triangle. (laughs) (laughs) Huntington started buying up as many local rail companies as he could until PE pretty much owned all the rails in the city that didn't belong to Southern Pacific or LA Pacific. Then there was the LA Traction Company like you talked about. Huntington made it very clear that he was out to push Southern Pacific out of the city. He was very bitter about what they had done to him. Understandably. Yes. 
though the Southern Pacific trains were steam-powered, but the PE trains ran on electricity, so they were cheaper, faster, cleaner, more efficient, and their tracks many times were running parallel to the Southern Pacific tracks. Huntington also converted the tracks of the companies he bought, here we go, to standard four foot eight and a half gauge, so they could also use their electric trains to pull freight to offer connections oh, through the city okay. to Southern Pacific's rival companies to further try to push Southern Pacific out of LA. Bitter. Very bitter, bitter. and I like it. <laughs> the exception to this gauge was downtown where the Larry trains were using the narrower three foot six inch gauge. Yeah. It's all about girth though. You can't ride on our rails? That sucks, huh? <laughs> no, here's the thing. Where the two services overlapped, they had dual gauge track with the PE trains using the two outer tracks and Larry using the inner rails. Uh-huh. Well, I guess I'll just go home then. Pathetic. This is the way business is done? The first brand new line that PE built was the Long Beach line that connected downtown to Long Beach. It opened July 4th, 1902, and on the first day it carried 15,000 people to Long Beach. Oh my god, one car. (laughs) We didn't think it through. But Huntington had even bigger plans for PE. His dream was to someday have an electric rail line that connected San Diego to LA to Santa Barbara. Hearsay. No. What are you going to call that? Like the Metrolink? The Surfliner? That's what it is, the Surfliner. He never lived to see that happen, but just his dreaming of that made Harriman so nervous because Southern Pacific already had been running a train from LA to Santa Barbara through the Santa Susana Pass, yeah. formerly a prime target for stagecoaches for Tiburcio Vasquez. Also, Manson family, Manson lived, up family there. lived up there. They just loved to see the Choo Choo's Pass. The tunnel they built there was the longest in Southern California, by the way. Really? Having one of Huntington's sleek and sexy electric trains competing with that was the last thing that Harriman needed. So in response, Harriman threatened to put more competitive pressure on Huntington Street Railways by undercutting his prices by offering three cent rides compared to their five cent rides. Tension was high. And as a result, the LA Traction Company lines became a key battle between Huntington and Harriman. They had lines around downtown, the Traction Company, and they also owned the Central Pacific Railway, which connected downtown to San Pedro. And they were already competing with Huntington's downtown lines that he had. And he didn't want to have to compete with Harriman's low price threats as well. So the owner put the company up for sale. This was the last major rail company in the city other than LA Pacific that was still independent. So getting control of this would give either Pacific Electric or Southern Pacific a huge advantage over the other one. So a bidding war ensued. And in late April 1903, Harriman won it for $1,800,000 plus $100,000 in cash, which in today's dollar is almost $50 million. Which is everything that Huntington got from cashing out of Southern Pacific. But he didn't saved it. Uh, he dodged a bullet. Yeah. Uh, mm, mm. The bullet still hit him. He dodged a bullet and ran into another bullet, which I feel <laughs> is a joke we've made before. Yeah, I think we yeah. did. The next big showdown happened not even a month later in May 1903 when the city had an auction to sell off the rights to build rails on 6th Street from Figueroa all the way to Hollywood. So Huntington was in the room to do his own bidding, but Harriman was back in San Francisco and only had a representative there. I think you can see who cared more about the city. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of them. The rights were expected to go for $10,000. Harriman ended up winning them for $110,000. And Huntington decided this is getting out of hand. So I'm going to kill him. <laughs> I thought I would never have to assassinate again, but here I go. So that night, he took a train to San Francisco to talk to Harriman, and they reached an agreement. I'm going to fight you. <laughs> Our two trains are going to play chicken. Southern Pacific would stop encroaching on Pacific Electric's desire to expand, but Pacific Electric was no longer majority-owned 
by Huntington. He let that slide. This was the deal. Huntington got 40% of the stocks in Pacific Electric, but now Southern Pacific also owned 40% of the company. The other 20% went to the other partners like Hellman. Okay. Obviously, Huntington was not happy about this, but he had to do it to save PE. So our kids need to be fit in case a war breaks out. Unfortunately for Huntington, in the long run, he just couldn't bear to live being less powerful than Southern Pacific, but he couldn't go against the guy who owned just as big a part of his company as he did. So to get around this, Huntington created the Los Angeles Interurban Railway Company for $10 million and bought up almost all the stocks in it to prevent another power struggle like this. And he attempted to begin a new empire from scratch. He used the Interurban to buy up other smaller lines like the Glendale Electric Railroad Company, mm-hmm. but he also used it as a sort of supplement to the PE lines that he still did have some control over. Right. Now, in addition to owning these rail companies, Huntington also owned the Pacific Electric Land Company. Oh, This is where the real estate stuff comes in. This meant that he owned not just a means of transportation, he also owned land. So that meant he could design the tracks to take people to the land that he owned, and what luck, there's a ton of brand new houses for sale <laughs> on this land. Huntington used the interurban to not just connect existing PE lines to existing cities, but also to connect PE lines to cities that he was creating out of nothing, and he also had a major stake in them. Real estate was a major business in LA at the time. By 1910, 45% of all households in LA were actually owned by the people living in it, which was the highest number of any American city. Huntington would advertise his new homes in the newspaper, and he'd have free rail rides out to see them, complete with free barbecue for anybody who came. (laughs) block party. We both know this is a monopoly, right? It's not a monopoly. (laughs) (laughs) It's an oligopoly. So they, they, we're going out, we're going out to this wasteland. There's going to be a hot dog for me. So they'd get there, then they would have an auction to sell off the houses, and conveniently, the rails wouldn't leave back to downtown until the auction was over. <laughs> wow. But the people that moved into these homes would also need water, right? You need that. Yeah. Lucky for them, Huntington also owned stock in water companies, so he was able to provide them that service. What about electricity? Well, friends... Oh my Huntington God. also owned... Doesn't he know it's bad to mix electricity and water? Huntington also owned 51% of the stock in the Pacific Light and Power Company with its Big Creek hydroelectric plant in the Sierras. So let's break it down. Huntington... Huntington made trains. <laughs> Huntington made trains that were electric, so his electric companies would benefit from that. Water is needed to generate electricity, so his water companies were all set there. Then he needed customers for his trains, but to have customers, there needs to be a place for them to go. So he built houses in previously hard to get to areas away from downtown, so that people would need to use his trains to get to and from them. Then, after collecting the one-time fee from the purchase of their house, they would then need their furniture shipped to the new homes. Luckily, his trains also provided freight service. Then, after those initial moving into your new home fee were taken care of, he then collected the monthly fees from the water and power needed to live in these remote areas for all of eternity. What an extensive robbery. Well, this is why people called people like him robber barons. Yeah. <laughs> people accused the Huntington conglomeration of being a monopoly, yeah. but the way he saw it, he wasn't forcing people to buy homes oh on his God. land. They just you were. just walk back if you don't want to be here for the auction. You could use a horse. I think there's a few of them still in the city. They were just living there and it was part of the deal that if they lived there, they then had to get their utilities from Huntington companies. That that's would, it. That's just part of the deal. Where else are you going to get it? Mulholland? Oh, there's a well about six miles over. You can't take the rail though. You should walk. It wasn't just Huntington that was doing stuff like this. Sherman and Clark with the LA Pacific were doing the same sort of thing. Harriman was right there with Huntington. The two of them were among the founders of the San Fernando Mission Land Company when it formed on November 28, 1904 and bought up the land that George Porter owned and turned it all 
into basically the northern part of the valley. So things like this and the trains that Huntington was bringing to them made living in places like the valley and along the beach possible. He created places like Redondo Beach. That's his brainchild. He is the Huntington of Huntington Beach. Huntington's profits were coming not from the actual operating of the rails themselves, but from the real estate deals that he was making. For some reason, nobody minded this or realized that there's only so much land that you can sell. So this would reveal itself to be a major problem later, but for now things seem golden. As a display of this wealth, aside from his 63-foot-long private rail car called the Alabama, Huntington decided to erect an appropriate headquarters for his company, and on January 15, 1905, the Huntington Building opened up on 6th and Main, better known as the Pacific Electric Building. It's nine stories high, and it was the biggest building in the city, and for a time was the tallest building west of the Mississippi. They say that this building is responsible for drawing the city's business district from 2nd and Spring to 6th and Main. So in addition to just off Offices, the bottom of it was actual the central terminal of all the PE lines. Okay. It was the finest example of railroad terminal design west of Chicago and it was our equivalent to New York's Grand Central. Mm-hmm. Not as nice though. <laughs> there were shops and services in there that actually accounted for a big business for PE. By the late 1940s, these shops were taking in over 100000 a year, Jesus. which is $8 billion in today's dollars. There was a popcorn stand. Can we go there right now? All the colonels got that. Starting in 1908, Kohl's has been serving French dip sandwiches right on their main floor. Wow. Yeah. In 1905, 5,000 passengers would pass through the main terminal a day. Huntington had even grander plans of expanding train service to even more new housing areas as far out as Lake Arrowhead. But like I said, most of the money was coming from his side companies, not from the actual trains and the minority investors in Pacific Electric, led by Hellman. They urged Huntington to slow down with the expanding and focus more on making money off the actual trains that they already had. Huntington, of course, refused and the minority investors went to Harriman and begged him to buy them out of the company and being such a kind man as he was he obliged (laughs) and in December 1904 Southern Pacific gained 60% control of Pacific Electric and used that power to force Huntington to stop with his expansion however since he still owned majority shares of the LA Interurban Uh he was able to do what he wanted with them which is why he had been using that company to do a lot of the expansion bidding that I was talking about I told you this would be very confusing (laughs) it, it, it sort of makes sense even so the things Huntington was doing with the interurban bothered Harriman because it posed a threat to the local Southern Pacific and Union Pacific lines in town, both mm-hmm. of which Harriman owned, so he figured it was time to tighten Huntington's leash yet again. Huntington's interurban had an agreement with Sherman and Clark's LA Pacific not to build in each other's territory, but yeah. the LA Pacific was in hard times, so on March 19, 1906, Harriman bought 51% of the stock in LA Pacific and oh. assumed control, so now Harriman owned all of the rails surrounding Huntington's interurban oh. and Huntington was now boxed in and could physically not expand any further. Wow. So what did the ever valiant Huntington do? That was it. (laughs) He lost. The game was over. On June 30th, 1908, Huntington gave up the interurban to Pacific Electric, and now Harriman had it all. Huntington maintained control of Larry, but who can really control Larry? Nobody. That was all he had. His dreams of a railroad empire were over, and Harriman finally won. Then Harriman got sick and died on November 9th, 1909. (laughs) But by that time, Huntington had mostly quit the business, and he started devoting his life to collecting art and books and growing his toenails up at his mansion (laughs) in San. Marino with his second wife. This might be the weirdest part of the story. To tell you about his second wife, let's first mention his first wife, Mary, whom he divorced in March 1906. Okay. The divorce hearing lasted seven minutes, and at the end of it, Mary won $1 million in the settlement, which was the biggest divorce settlement in U.S. history up to the time. Who was his second wife? 
Unky Collis's widow Arabella, who was actually Whoa. she was three years younger than Henry was, and them getting married just confirmed everybody's suspicion that they had been having an affair for a very long time. That's very gross. Very. He just wanted to be his uncle. Oh. In all senses of the word. Henry died May 23rd, 1927 in Philadelphia. His body is buried at his old estate, which is now known as the Huntington Library and Gardens, which is a very nice place to visit. It's very expensive to get in. They get in when they're close. His mausoleum is considered the model for the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C. Now that things got so complicated, it seemed like the new heads of P.E. were as confused as we are, so they decided to simplify everything. August 24th, 1911, mm-hmm. Southern Pacific merged together, the Pacific Electric, mm-hmm. the LA Interurban, the LA Pacific, the Los Angeles and Redondo Railway Company, the Riverside and Arlington Railway Company, the San Bernardino Traction Company, Redland Central Railway Company, and the San Bernardino Interurban Railway Company, and they were now all part of the same rail system known as the new Pacific Electric. That's that's oh, it. That's, that's it. the cap. Okay. This is the Pacific Electric everyone remembers so fondly. The only independent line after this merger was the Glendale and Montrose Railway. Oh, yeah, yeah. The fleet of all eight companies involved in the merger were consolidated and all trains were painted red, which is why they were always referred to as the red cars, the big mm-hmm. red cars. Operations began September 1st, 1911. Their slogan became safety, comfort, speed, conglomerations, monopoly, <laughs> gouging. Buy me, buy me. Southern Pacific moved into the Pacific Electric Building and booted Huntington's company oh to God. the LA Railway Building, Larry B, at 11th and Broadway. After After the merger, PE mostly stopped expanding other than a line to Fullerton and then the San Bernardino line. That was the longest line that they had. It was 58 miles. Okay. And with that, Pacific Electric became the biggest interurban train system in the world. And not just that, it was called the world's greatest interurban railway at its peak, 1925, not 1924, like I said. We peaked before you. (laughs) Ours was a bigger peak. (laughs) 1925, there were 1,164 miles of track serving 950. 50 passenger cars running 2,700 times a day, serving 125 communities throughout LA, Orange, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties. It covered 25% more track mileage than the current New York City subway system. They accounted for 10% of all the investment in streetcar lines in the entire country. (laughs) It all emanated out of downtown and stretched into the valley through Burbank and Van Nuys and as far west as Chatsworth and as far north as San Fernando. It stretched west along the coast as far north as the Pacific Palisades and went all the way down along the coast through Santa Monica, Ocean Park, Venice, Venice, El Segundo, Hyperion, Manhattan, Redondo, down to Clifton. They went south down to San Pedro, mm-hmm. Point Furman, and Long Beach. They went out to Fullerton and Glendora and way out east to Redlands, Riverside, and Corona. That's so far. It's very far. They even extended into the tainted bells of Orange County down to Balboa <laughs> and Santa Ana. They could take you along the beach on a snowy mountain through orange groves or through a busy city. On the same day, the rails were originally divided into four districts, eastern, western, northern, guess the last. Do you see Northern already? (laughs) (laughs) It's Southern. Oh, that's fun. Within a few years, though, the North and the East got combined into just Northern. The Northern was the largest of the districts with around 400 miles of track on 33 separate lines. Mm -hmm. The Western District was made up of all the old LA Pacific lines, the Glendale Burbank line, the Mm -hmm. San Fernando Valley line, and the 8th Street Local in Santa Monica. And at their peak, they had around 260 miles of track over 12 lines with 566 cars making 395 trips a 
day. There was not much freight in the Western District, but who did have a lot of freight business was the Southern District, mm -hmm. who was carrying around 35% of all freights coming in from the ports of LA and Long Beach. Yeah. Pacific Electric was the third largest freight carrier in the US. Wow. There was a lot of worker trains that they employed also, like their job was to be a train. <laughs> they would just ride the rails to grease up the overhead electrical wires. Yeah. Some of them burned off weeds that were growing on the tracks, which I would love to see just yeah. like flames <laughs> shooting on the bottom. Or they would like grind down the rails. Right. Some served as portable generator substations that they'd use for heavy traffic events like the Rose Parade or races at Santa Anita or the LA County Fair in Pomona. Right. There was a big train repair hub in Torrance and another one at 7th and Alameda. The trains themselves were pretty nice at first. <laughs> Some of them could go up to 55 miles per hour. Some of them had reversible seats. They could flip around when the train hit the end of the line so you wouldn't be facing backwards and vomit <laughs> everywhere. Some of the trains were even the former Pullman trains, but the finest ones were said to be the Hollywood trains. Even finer were special cars they used exclusively for celebrities and visiting presidents. Air Force too. Air Force trolley. <laughs> there were strictly industrial type trains like the four track high speed line going yeah. through Watts, but then there were the lines that were almost like the neighborhood milkman going by who just happened to be on a giant electric train. <laughs> the Echo Park line would have housewives running up to it on the street asking the driver to pick something up from the store for her <laughs> and he'd drop it off on his way back. The Echo Park line, they had cars running every five minutes during That's peak right. hours. Yeah. Pacific Electric was also running the last interurban railway post office in the country up until 1950 on the San Bernardino line. Mm -hmm. You could rent funeral trains as hearses Ooh. to transport mourners and corpses to wherever your funeral was. <laughs> there was a Venice high school train that was exclusively for taking students to class. Mm -hmm. You could also take the trains to Venice straight over the canals and right to the amusement piers, letting you off at the Central Lagoon. That's right. There were a lot of specialty rides and specially designed observation cars you could take that sounded like a lot of fun. Jump. This is this is going to be great. Blow my mind. Trips like the scene. Los Angeles ride, the Chinatown trip, Ooh. the old mission tour, the triangle trolley trip that took you to all the beach cities in the South Bay, the Catalina special, Ooh. which took you to Wilmington, where you then boarded a boat to Catalina, boat fare included in your ticket price. Wow. There was the Orange Empire trolley trip, which for $4 took you to Riverside, Redlands, and San Bernardino, and was advertised as a day's journey of 175 miles through the Citrus Belt and its cities. It's the Meekly train. I would have loved that. <laughs> It. it left at 9 a.m. from the main terminal downtown, as all the special excursion trains did. It was narrated by a real live tour guide. Ooh. One of the most popular ones was the balloon route excursion. Ooh. Not up in the air, but down on the earth. <laughs> the scenic trolley trip goes one way and returns another. 101 miles for 100 cents. One whole day for a dollar. Oh, 36 miles right along the ocean shore. The only way to see it all and see it right. <laughs> In case you didn't catch it, it didn't actually go in the air. No. <laughs> it was called the balloon wrap because the path of the rails was shaped like a balloon. It took you from downtown through Hollywood uh -huh. to the house of the painter Paul de Longpre, who lived at 1741 Coenga, through the bean fields that eventually became Beverly Hills, uh -huh. then to a wounded soldier's home in Sawtell, where you would get God. your portrait taken <laughs> with your favorite wounded soldier. Yeah. They would have an official Pacific Electric photographer on the scenic steps of the wounded soldier's home. The 
photographer would take your picture, then go back downtown to develop the pictures to have it for when you got back there, they could sell it to you by the time you got back at the end of the day. Meanwhile, your journey continued to the Long Wharf in Santa Monica, which is a ridiculous thing. As its name promised, it was a long wharf (laughs) that jutted off the coast of Santa Monica almost a mile into the ocean and was reachable only by train since it was originally used as the city's industrial port until San Pedro opened up. It was the longest wharf in the world, but don't feel stupid for never having noticed it because it's not there. Did it burn down? I'm sure it did. (laughs) They accidentally sent the weed burner train on there. So there's a trolley in the ocean if you want to find it. I do. From there, they went to the Camera Obscura in Santa Monica. Oh, yeah. Then to a nice fish dinner at the Playa del Rey Pavilion. Then on to Redondo and Moonstone Beach, which was a part of Redondo Beach that used to have all these moonstones that washed up onto it. And you could take them and get them cleaned up as souvenirs. This is all sounds so fantastic. I would love to do this. And for a dollar, Greg. Yeah. You can't beat that 100 cents. Then you headed back up to the Venice Amusement Piers for an hour before you headed back downtown and you could buy your picture with a wounded soldier. <laughs> this trip, it was hugely popular and during the summer and winter, an average of 10,000 people took the tour every month. The reason for its success was due to a man named C.M. Pierce who heavily promoted the balloon route at all places tourists could be found in the city. He would like go to hotels and be like, ride my train, ride my train. And they would kick him out all the time and he'd keep coming back. He made it a thing that you needed to do if you were visiting LA. He even went as far as to make sure all the tour guides on the excursion were physically strong men so that when they spoke, people would listen to them. And if you didn't, head to the track. (laughs) It was such a hit that he started opening up balloon routes in other cities as well. The most popular of these excursions was the trip up to Mount Low, as you briefly mentioned, aka the Railway to the Clouds. Not equaled by any trolley trip in the world at any price. It is very Matterhorn. Yeah, I was looking at pictures. There's a Yeti at the end. (laughs) I was looking at pictures of it. It it looks fascinating. I really wish I could really And also really scary. Yeah, that's that's great. (laughs) It was started long before Pacific Electric by Professor Thaddeus So Bison Colon Court Low, who built the Pasadena and Mount Wilson Railway Company, which opened July 4th, 1893, and went from Altadena to Rubio Canyon, Mm -hmm. where he had a hotel and a dance hall. From there, you went up the Great Incline on one of Greg's famous funiculars, which was a vomit-makingly steep (laughs) incline engineered by David McPherson that took you to the top of Echo Mountain, where you were now in White City, presumably named because only white people were allowed, (laughs) which had a couple hotels, an observatory, a zoo, a museum and also the world's largest searchlight that had a 35 mile projection. Lowe's publicist said he could read a newspaper by the beam of its light coming through his hotel window on Catalina Island. (laughs) And here's a nice treat. If it was your birthday, you could get the light shown onto your house. Oh, I I can't even imagine how many missed houses they got until they finally got the right house. (laughs) Woke everybody up. Well, it was shut down in the 30s for being a public nuisance. Yeah, I I could do that. From here, you went even higher up on what was basically a Disneyland parking tram with no doors to the top of Oak Mountain, soon to be renamed Mount Low in honor of the good professor, where there were views of all LA and a place called Ye Alpine Tavern. The whole rail experience was sold to the LA Railway in 1901, then Pacific Electric took it over in 1902. The trip was $250 and left five times a day from the main terminal. Unfortunately, this was all in a particularly nature-filled part of nature, and the elements were not kind to it. There 
were repeated fires and floods that caused severe damage. In 1929, the observatory got destroyed by a windstorm, which I don't even know what that is. Yeah. A tornado? <laughs> and in 1936, the tavern burned down for good and rainstorms damaged the tracks beyond repair. And in 1938, the railway was closed for good. But in its 45 years of existence, some 3 million people took a trip up there. You can hike up there nowadays along where the old tracks used to be. And in 1993, the Mount Low Incline Railway was put on the National Register of Historic Places. Well, if things were going so well for Pacific Electric, they had all these nice, fun things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why isn't it still here today? Why why isn't it still here today, Daniel? Let me tell you, little stupid boy. You can believe what Roger Rabbit tells you, that GM bought up all the trains and shut them down so that they could sell their buses to the city, but you would be an idiot. (laughs) GM did have a minor part in the downfall, but so did many, many many other companies like you said the conspiracy theory it's just based on this misguided article that was written by this guy named Bradford Snell idiot in 1974 in in the era of great names to be named Snell (laughs) the reality was the same way with the downtown theater district or googie architecture there was a lot of factors most of all the city just kind of outgrew it Mm -hmm. this message brought to you by Judge Doom one (laughs) one factor was the depression nobody had any jobs to commute to and nobody had extra money to go shopping down Downtown, so right. they had no need to go gallivanting on the trains around the city. <laughs> I can spend in, a dime on the train. <laughs> in 1910, the average transit rides per person in the main parts of LA was nearly 400. By 1939, it was barely over 200. Great. From 1929 to 1933, Pacific Electric lost half of its revenue. Oh and to try to tempt riders back, fares were cut in half. And they even offered a Sunday pass where you could ride unlimited trains on all PE lines for a dollar. Didn't work. An even bigger factor was our old friend, the automobile. Oh, no. Giver and slayer of Los Angeles charm. (laughs) As the 20th century got older, personal cars became more reliable, Mm -hmm. and they also started becoming status symbols that everyone wanted to have. So the transition to private transportation began, and it did not stop. And by 1919, there were almost 141,000 gas cars on the road in L.A. There's that many in my My garage right now, my car hole. Yeah, I'm Jay Leno. Didn't you know that? (laughs) This meant the roads were more crowded and cars were getting in the way of the trains, which slowed them down and made them even less desirable to commuters. Train appeal died and nobody knew yet that more gas and less electric was bad for the environment. (laughs) And also dying were pedestrians as, (laughs) as the streets got more crowded. So did the sidewalks and a lot of people got hit and killed by PE trains in the busy intersections. The trains started going slower because of this and made them even less efficient. Getting on some of the trains, you'll see pictures it's just like a bunch of people crowded in the middle of like hollywood boulevard with cars zooming by them it was ridiculously dangerous and to try to make things better the first freeway was open in 1939 and many more followed the freeways weren't crowded yet and they never would be so (laughs) they tempted even more people to buy their own cars and the construction of the actual freeways themselves paved over some of the old rail tracks pacific electric tried to work with the freeways like on the 101 which originally had a middle section of train tracks in the Coenga Pass near Universal Studios. A train used to ride down there in the middle. One of the biggest traffic problems was what was going on in front of the central hub on Main Street. Mm-hmm. All the Pacific Electric lines converged there. Yeah. So it caused a huge traffic pileup <laughs> at all times of the day. Oh and with more and more cars coming on 
onto the road. It just kept getting worse. They made an attempt to alleviate things in 1910 by building an elevated platform onto the Pacific Electric Building for the northern and southern lines to come in on and avoid the main entrance that everybody was crushing in on, but it still wasn't enough. So 1916, they extended the platform to San Pedro Street, and they had even more plans to build it further crossing the LA River. Yes. A depression quickly put an end to that. <laughs> depression purifies all. <laughs> even so, it still wasn't enough. So in 1922, the California Railroad Commission issued Order Number 9928 for all Japanese people. To- <laughs> <laughs> all uh, Japanese cars have to leave. <laughs> the order was for Pacific Electric to build a subway for its western district oh, right, right. lines to use to alleviate the traffic in front of the Main Street building. What resulted was a second hub for PE in the form of the subway terminal building at 417 Hill Street at Hill and Fourth. Mm-hmm. It opened November 3rd, 1925, with its first train running out December 1st. The building was designed by the guys who did the Biltmore Hotel and mm-hmm. the Waldorf Astoria in New York. There was a height limit for a building in the city at a time. You must be this many floors if you want to ride this ride. So the height limit for a building, you couldn't be over 150 feet. So they went right up to 150 feet. It's 10 stories high and it was the new biggest office building in the city. (laughs) The terminal was in the basement where subways tend to be usually. It's right under Fort Moore Hill, home of the lizard people gold. The tunnels are now off limits, but listen to Creepy Christmas Haunted Hanukkah Part Boo to find out how you can sneak down Listen to it right now and then come back to us. Yeah, it'll be the longest listening experience of your life. (laughs) The tunnel is 4,325 feet long, 28 feet wide, 21 feet, 3 inches tall, and let you out at around 1st and Glendale or Toluca Yard as they called it mm. near the Marionette Theater. Mm. It was called the Hollywood Subway and 65,000 people would pass through here a day. Oh. PE had grand plans to build even more subways like this to places like Boyle Heights and South Central but that required voter support for these plans and that was not something that PE had ever. Mainly because they were so anti-union like yeah. you said. But also their service kind of sucked so why would the voters tax themselves for a system that is only benefiting its owners? Yeah. They referred to Pacific Electric as the octopus because of the eight companies that it merged from. There it is. At the same time, the business people didn't want the rails to go under government control because then they couldn't make money off of it. So they weren't getting any sort of public support or any sort of government support on any level. Things were at a stalemate and Pacific Electric had a very bad public image. Luckily, World War II happened and (laughs) and PE got a second wind. The war factories came alive and workers needed a way to get to work. Combine that with the gasoline rationing that was going on and there was a huge surge in rail riding. PE had its all-time high ridership in 1944 with 109 million people. To keep up with all the new riders, PE bought 80 trains from San Francisco to supplement their fleet. They were very large and had two giant circular windows in the front that made them look like owls. (laughs) And they were called the blimps. They also moved troops and war machines around town. The Cal Ship Railway used PE rail paths to transport the 282,000 employees working at the California Shipbuilding Corporation facility on Terminal Island after all the Japanese people had been kicked Mm -hmm. out of it. But once the war was over, the number of rail commuters dropped again and even more cars came on the road and it was time to face the reality of the situation that the PE train system was just plain run down. No one was fixing anything. That's what I keep reading. Like They're like, yeah, just let it go. They keep referring to it as deferred maintenance. Uh, (laughs) Yep, yep. that's the right response. (laughs) And by the time the World War II surge happened, these trains should have been long retired, but they kept them going just to keep up with the demand. Like I said, the trains had no public support, so a tax in 1926 to repair them had been
been voted down and they were called a slum on wheels. Good stuff. The trains were very expensive to keep up because it wasn't just the trains, but also the power stations and the rails themselves that needed money that you had to pay for. And you also needed to pay several people to operate a train, but it only took one person to operate the much cheaper alternative a bus. There had from the get-go been... <laughs> Look un- at you finally supporting the bus. Ride Metro, <laughs> The bus is a great place. Have your lunch there. From the get-go, there had been unofficial jitney cars that ran Ooh. parallel to many of the PE train tracks that was siphoning off a lot of would-be customers with yeah. their cheaper fares, but they were also unreliable, and most of them either faded away or were made illegal. In 1926, they estimated they lost $30,000 to these third-party Ubers. Uber goobers. So Pacific Electric figured that they might as well offer a similar service since people apparently wanted it. So they first started experimenting with buses that same year when the San Bernardino to Highland Line got replaced with buses. But they tried hard to stay a rail company rather than a bus company, but it started becoming clearer and clearer that buses was going to be the only way to survive. And people actually, for some reason, liked riding on buses. It's where you met people. It's where you met your local bus driver, (laughs) Larry. In 1923, P.E. and Larry started the Los Angeles Motor Bus Company, which soon became the Los Angeles Motor Co. Coach company to manage their bus services. Then nicer buses like GM's, this is where GM does come in the story, yeah. and it's 45 seaters complete with air conditioning, not just an open window, oh. and even more people wanted to ride these nice new buses. In 1936, rail service to San Bernardino and Redlands was replaced by bus. 1940, the same happened to the lines to Santa Monica, Redondo, and Riverside. Mm-hmm. The last train to Pasadena ran 1941. No word on the same. last train to Clarksdale. <laughs> One step ahead Clarksville, of you. on Clarksdale. Yeah. Yeah. You want to go to Clarksdale? <laughs> that one's still going. <laughs> All the rest of the rail operations to the northern district ceased September 30th, 1951, replaced by bus. Then on October 1st, 1953, Metropolitan Coach Lines bought up all the passenger rail and bus services PE had left with the explicit intention to convert everything to bus. 1954, all the rails were removed from the main concourse of the Pacific Electric Building mm-hmm. and the Hollywood Lines were turned to bus. The last train to run in the sub was a Glendale Burbank car, June 15, 1955. This was the last ride of the Western District. They were replaced by bus. I didn't see that happening. <laughs> the rail left the 101. It gave each direction one new lane. Yeah. Didn't help. No. The special excursions were shut down. Catalina Special lasted the longest until 1956. Then on March 3rd, 1958, they were sold again to the Metropolitan Transit Authority. Yeah. The Southern District held out the longest and were the only rails still running at the time. They had kept those ones so long because they still ran a nice freight business transporting oil, but it still wasn't enough. And on April 9th, 1961, the final passenger ride on the Long Beach Line, all Always one of the busiest took place. Long Beach Line, if you were paying attention, was the first line that Huntington had built. Mm-hmm. Poetry. Then on August 13, 1965, with 45 trains and 210 miles of track left, Pacific Electric was finally put to rest and absorbed once and for all by the winner in this long fight. Southern Pacific. Pacific. Then on September 11th, 1996, Southern Pacific had to merge with Union Pacific because in the (laughs) end, no railroad ever wins. (laughs) They're all going to the glue factory. (laughs) So the problem with PE was that they were just too big to sustain themselves even before cars started becoming a thing. And they weren't even comprehensively built because Huntington designed it just to connect his housing developments to downtown. So no surprise when cars did come out, they were much more useful. They took you through the main thoroughfares, but as the freeways expanded and employment was decentralized, 
decentralized, they became less and less efficient for everyday use. On the East Coast, the transit system was created around the city that already existed, but here the city took shape around the transit system. So in that sense, they were never meant to be as reliable as the ones in New York, and because of that, they created their own executioners. Basically, yeah. Here's my metaphor. They were just the scaffolding that the city was built around, but then the city was built and the scaffolding had to go. Now the city needs the scaffolding again, (laughs) and because of that, the old red cars are very romanticized, but when they left, nobody wanted them. They were gross. They were a nuisance, and what's worse, Pacific Electric only made a profit in three of its almost half century of years in existence. Like I said, the money was coming from real estate developers, not from providing good service. Where are they now? There's some stuff in Travel Town, but the majority of things that are actually still around are at the Orange Empire Railway Museum in Paris. Not Paris. 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 Paris in the summer. (laughs) Oregon has like a train or rail museum, and I was finding a lot of stuff on their site. Here's a weird thing. Some of the trains were sold to the General Orquiza Railway in Buenos Aires, so maybe you can ride some of the most likely deadly at this point trains (laughs) down there, but the majority of the PE trains were just scrapped. Yeah. Turns into glue and bullets. (laughs) Glue and bullets. I think they're in Terminal Island piled up or San Pedro somewhere. There's photos of it. They're just like stacked up and dead. It's a rail car graveyard. There's the waterfront mm-hmm. red car line in San Pedro, Pedro yeah. which runs for 1.5 miles from the World Cruise Center all along the waterfront that... <laughs> combining a lot of things there <laughs> that opened July 19th 2003 there's a couple replicated red cars there but one of them is an actual original that's been restored making it the first red car to run on a red car route in over 40 years costs a dollar you can ride it all day from noon to nine Friday through Sunday there's also the Pacific Dining Car Restaurant at yes. 1310 West 6th Street that opened in 1921 as a replica Pacific Electric car expanded to have more space to eat comfortably in it was actually movable on train rails oh, yeah. as a cop hangout <laughs> I'm not going there. The rest of the city tracks were either removed or paved over, but some of the outer city ones are still used for freight or Metrolink. A lot of the overhead passes and bridges that were made for the trains were turned into regular streets that we probably drive on every day. All of those overhead passes. The old Burbank Southern Pacific Line is now the path of the Orange Line. The Lancashire train station in North Hollywood is still there, as is the Watts station, and I want to say that there's one in San Fernando also. The outlet of the old subway is paved over with a mural of a red car coming out of it. Mm. The subway terminal building itself is now Metro 417 Apartments. Come move here if you're sexy and single. The Pacific Electric Building was modernized in 1947 and all bus operations left in 1964 as the elevated structure was raised and the waiting room and the concourse were turned into a parking lot. Ah. And the building offices were turned into housing lots in 2005. If you're a little less sexy, come move move here. That's where I belong. (laughs) And in a hint, like you said, towards the future and some other excessively long episode. July 14th, 1990, the Blue Line opened, running over basically the same path as the old Long Beach Line. In commemoration, that train had a red stripe on it to honor the old red cars and Jamaican beer. (laughs) So that's the long, complicated path towards a thing that's no longer here. It's just really funny how even public transport is tainted by land ownership and then the city expansion, which is basically, I mean, that's why our... And cars. And cars. And planes, the sequel. (laughs) Other cities can have good transit systems, but we can't because of the expansion, because (laughs) landowners did this, and because they're like, San Bernardino, don't you want to come out here? No. No. Clearly not. No. History has proven no. (laughs) The facts are there. But they're also 
also trying to bring back a trolley on the Broadway. Yes, they are. Yeah. The Broadway streets. It's part of the rejuvenation of yeah. the Broadway theater district. Yeah. Because they're romanticizing public transit too. Don't Sunday, they know? Oh, have you ever taken the orange line? <laughs> Our grandkids. Papa, did you ever ride the orange line? Yeah, I got vomited on by a meth addict. Oh, boy. Oh, golly. <laughs> the adventures of the past before <laughs> robo-grandpas <laughs> took over. <laughs> I just love dirty stories like grandpas, you know? Mm-hmm. Getting sneezed on by ladies. Going into this, I was like, yeah, I wish we did have a thing like that. And it just sounds like a problem. Yeah. It would just cause more it's trouble. An, it's another thing. Yeah. And I don't want that. No things on my lawn. Let's go back to the horse traveling. Come on. <laughs> horse old wagons. Let's How about go- a horse that's being pulled by a cable? Oh, now, that's what I want. Cables tied around its well, neck. The horses are dead, so. <laughs> <laughs> now you're talking. Huntington, I spit upon your mausoleum. Kind of a D word, Harriman. Kind of a D word, but daddy D word. The only hero in this is Professor Thaddeus, <laughs> Sebaceous, Collinsworth. Whoa. And all the dead horses. <laughs> a moment Please. of silence for, for the, the dead, dead horses. horses. As usual, leave us a review on iTunes, favorably, preferably. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, LA Meekly, at LA Meekly. Tumblr, lameekly.tumblr.com. We're now on Instagram. LA underscore Meekly. You could find us there. Follow us. We're going to post pictures of just things. Whatever. Naked. (laughs) Different limbs. Whose limbs? You'll find out in an HBO special. Listen to episode 25 to figure it out. Trying to be more active on Reddit. We'll see how that goes. It's been very encouraging. There's very nice people out there with a lot of opinions. They're very smart and quick. And if they want to fight, then we'll fight. <laughs> We're always itching for a good fight with a <laughs> untangible enemy. <laughs> Any last words, Greg, before we drift off into the netherworld where we belong? North Hollywood. Um, I had a good time talking about trains, okay. trams, trolleys. What's the difference? <laughs> anyway, yes. that's been yet another episode of L.A. Meekly, finding jobs for dead horses since 2013. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> I put an end to this. Mm-hmm.